uh, we don't want to make excuses. We want to do our best to achieve at our, at our best level, regardless of the adversity, right? To overcome the adversity. So um, you mentioned virtual learning. You know, it, it's unfortunate, right? Like there are going to be problems where, for example, internet access is a problem for some families. And in those cases, it's, it's a lot harder to sort of get your work done and perform highly, even in a virtual learning setting. Um, but generally speaking, if you're so fortunate to have internet access and so forth, what I'm telling students is this is not a snow day, right? Yes, there will be some forgiveness for the adversity of this time, but the people who are able to work hard and stick to their goals, despite the adversity, they're going to shine. Hi, this is Liz Weaver, and you are listening to the Learning Success Podcast, an information-packed podcast with the latest news, information, and tips to help you overcome a learning difficulty. For anyone suffering from a reading difficulty, writing difficulty, a math difficulty, a focus problem, dyslexia, dyscalculia, dysgraphia, or ADHD, this is the place for you. The Learning Success Podcast is brought to you by LearningSuccessSystem.com. Hello, and welcome to the Learning Success Podcast, where we help you learn to embrace your child's brilliance and unleash their true potential. Today, we have Hafiz Lakani. Hafiz Lakani is the founder and president of Lakani Coaching. Hafiz is a graduate of Yale University with a BA in Mathematics and Economics, and he scored a perfect score on the SAT and ACT. He is a former nonprofit field worker in India and a commodities trader on Wall Street. Hafiz has a natural ability to see potential and opportunity. For him, reaching that potentially, potential is simply a matter of structure, dedication, and character. He is a 20-year veteran in one-on-one -on -one education. Hafiz has mastered an approach to teaching where he infuses his instruction with powerful elements of motivation. His passion for coaching manifests in its mastery, having honed the Laconi coaching method to serve a growing population of high achievers. Welcome, Hafiz. Thank you, Phil. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you here. So um, let's start off by telling, you, telling us about what you do. What do you do at Lakani Consulting. Sure. We work uh, as sort of a large mission. We always say our goal is to help students turn desire into ambition and ambition into success, right? And the key there is that ambition is going to be defined differently for every student. So we work one-on-one -on -one with students across the U.S. and across the world, clients in 12 countries worldwide, essentially on four key areas. Admissions, that could be admissions to Harvard, or it could be admissions simply to a school that matters to you that happens to have a program that you love, right? It doesn't have to be the most selective admissions, but across the board, we want to know how do we get into the most narrow funnels, or how do we help a student find a place at a place that really matters to him or her? So admissions, standardized testing, academic skills, and character growth. Fantastic. Okay, so in your mission statement there, desire into ambition. Um, I know a lot of people have desires, but don't necessarily get up off the couch to, to make them. What's, what's that transition from desire to ambition? Sure. So uh, it recognizes that it's a step-by-step -step process, okay. right? So for example, um, you know, we work with students from middle school to graduate school. Uh, and so a great story that I uh, witnessed is um, a student who 
came to me around 24, 25 years old, um, had just left the job uh, working in finance and um, was kind of very uncertain about his future, right? So, but he knew that he had aspirations to do something in business. So I got to know him and I learned that even at 25, the most meaningful thing he ever did was volunteer with Basketball Without Borders in Senegal, Africa, when he was a teenager. And basketball is his lifelong sport, played in high school, college, always, you know, just a passion of his. But of course, you know, it's not possible for everyone to become a professional. So he kind of closed that chapter for himself at the end of college. And I said, hey, you're not sure what you want to do with your future. Why don't we see if we can get you back to Africa to sort of work with young athletes there to create opportunity through basketball, right? So we got to work, and this is all sort of fueled by what he confessed as his desires and his ambitions. And over time, we were able to put pieces in place. And fast forward a year, he landed a position at a a great nonprofit that helps athletes get educational opportunities in the U.S. So helping athletes in Africa through their basketball skills get recruited for educational opportunities in the U.S. Loved the role and saw himself doing it for a long time. Uh, Decided to apply to Harvard Business School, which would have been a reach for him based on his grades and his test scores. But we decided that it was a worthwhile reach because he had committed so sincerely to what we call his character, pursuing something that mattered to him, right? And again, fast forward several months, uh, COVID dependent, he'll be starting at Harvard Business School this right. fall, right? So it's really a step-by-step process, Phil, of helping someone understand what his or her ambitions are and how to move toward those ambitions one step at a time. Good. So is that, that a typical structure is finding a passion and then moving on from there? Sure. And, and the goals for each student can be different. So sometimes, you know, we have students come to us um, who have learning challenges, uh, learning differences, who maybe don't have um, a great academic track record as a result of those differences. Um, I'm thinking about, for example, a student several years ago, um, really sincere young lady, um, just, you know, I think she had a certain, um, if I remember correctly, phonetic dyslexia, mm-hmm. a certain processing disorder and um, had always been a terrible tester. And, you know, test optional is out there as a possibility for students who are in this bucket where testing is just not their forte. But frankly, if you dig into the research, uh, your chances of acceptance at a given university, even if it's a test optional university, are higher if you submit testing and lower if you don't. Because test optional is reserved for cultivating low-income students, uh, first-generation students, and, and, and for good reason, right? Those students have a lot of disadvantage And so test optional is helping those students get over that adversity. So in this case, the student wouldn't qualify for, you know, financial aid or or be seen as a first generation type of student. She just happened to be, um, you know, testing wasn't her forte, right? So in this case, you know, we got to know the student. We understood there was a little, a certain level of test anxiety, which we've had a lot of success overcoming. It comes from building confidence in skills. So in this case, her goal was to drastically improve her standardized testing ability, right? So she came in with a, a PSAT score in the ballpark of 900, which is, you know, below, just below the average, right? I think the average is in the ballpark of 1100. So she was probably coming in somewhere in the, I don't know, 35th or 40th percentile, right? And we identified, you know, where were the sort of gaps, right? And we also identified where were the goals. And she had really aspirational goals. She said, look, you know, actually, I see myself as a great academic student, I just can't pull it together in testing. 
And, um, you know, I always make the analogy with something like testing. Think of it like any other skill in your life. If you happen to be great at tennis, right? Well, guess what? I haven't played a lot of tennis in my life. And I asked the student, uh, hey, um, Sarah, do you think I can become a great tennis player if I really wanted to? She'll say, sure. And I'll say, hey, do you think I can become exceptional? She'll say, sure. I'll say, hey, Sarah, do you think I can study all night tonight and be a great tennis player tomorrow? Right? And that's hopefully when she laughs and says, no, that's insane. Uh-huh. Right? Just like it's insane to become a great violinist overnight. And it's insane to learn, you know, um, German overnight. Right? So we're talking about building a skill over time. And so once we understand that framework, again, we turn desire into ambition by putting the steps in place. Uh-huh. Right? And we work one-on-one to address the specific you know, um, nuts and bolts, right? So, you know, you might be familiar with the SAT or ACT. There's going to be elements of like, do you know your formulas, the 30, 60, 90 right triangle? How comfortable are you with finding the vertex of a parabola, that sort of thing. And then it's about using these skills uh, to build problem solving ability over time, right? And that confidence sort of pays off in the long run, right? So six months down the road, it didn't take two years, it didn't take four years, six months, nine months down the road, we have dramatic increases. And the student I'm thinking of was actually the largest SAT increase we ever coached, 600 points. Wow. So 900 to a 1,500. So she jumped from about the you know, 35th or 40th percentile to the 99th percentile. And it was just a matter of building confidence over time. That's, that's pretty amazing. Amazing story. So, um, so building confidence and building skills. Obviously, building skills slowly over time is going to build confidence in itself. What other things are going to are going to be beneficial in building confidence? Sure, I mean um, repetition, right? So, if, for example, let's go back to the tennis analogy, right? Mm-hmm. If I had a world class tennis coach, right? Let's suppose you know Roger Federer is coaching me in tennis, mm-hmm. right? Do I want to take only a lesson or two lessons with Federer in a week, and then in between sit on my couch, pat myself on the back, and say, "Hey, I got great lessons." Um, just going to watch TV now. Yeah. Right. right. No, we want to get out there and practice, right? Uh-huh. We want to get out there and approach it like we approach any skill. The problem is, you know, a lot of times these skills, whether it's standardized testing or something more academic related, they may not be the most fun skills for us, mm-hmm. right? So we need to channel the confidence from other skills in our lives that we have enjoyed, that we've sort of taken on voluntarily and, and found success in, right? And the key there is to put in that sort of repetition and focus to, to build the confidence slowly and then don't be too hard on yourself, right? So let's, let's extend the analogy. Let's suppose I say I've, I've become a great tennis player and I have a big tournament. Do I want only one match to determine whether I succeed or don't succeed at tennis? Or would I like to say, hey, wouldn't it be nice to have two or three tries to say which one is going to be my personal best performance, mm-hmm. right? So, you know, standardized testing is uh, obviously it's not something that anyone really enjoys, um, but the fact is that colleges are really great if you want to submit testing to say, we're going to look at your best score over multiple sittings. And that's a great way to relieve the test anxiety element for any student to say, hey, you have a few shots if you want it to do your personal best. Yeah. Right? So you build the skills, gain confidence, and then say, hey, there's not too much pressure here on any one sitting. That makes a lot of sense. You mentioned transferring confidence from one activity to another. I know there's actually research behind that, that if, if um, there were 
putting together a list of things that a person is confident at and then actually reading that list out just before another activity. Sure. Um, and so, uh, as if confidence is a is a hormone running through our body gets that gets that going. Um, Positivity has enormous effects, Phil. Absolutely, yeah. it's, it's been a pillar of our work. In okay. fact, you know, one quick anecdote is I have a team of about a dozen coaches that work under me, and part of our training is we send a session note to the student and family after each of our meetings, and part of our requirements for the session note is include at least one positive. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's as simple as saying, you know what, today we worked on grammar strategies. We covered subject, verb, and who, whom. And I was really impressed that, you know, we talked about who, whom about six weeks ago last. And we went back to our notes. And on five drill problems, Sarah answered four out of five correctly on the first try. So really good job at retention there. Okay. Right? Just helping someone realize that, hey, it's a long journey here. But on the little steps, you're doing a good job. Right. So right? the small successes are really, it's a pillar of something we do is, is make, getting them to recognize those small successes because there's also research behind that it, that says the, that's the number of successes, not the size that yeah. ten, tends to build the confidence. So Absolutely. yeah, that makes, that makes a lot of sense. It's wonderful. So um, we talk a lot about remote learning today, obviously, but can you tell us the difference is, um, so you work with high performing students students that may not be so high performing is are there differences in remote learning or and if so what are strategies around that sure uh, you know I, I, the conversation i had with a parent just 15 minutes ago the mm -hmm. first thing i said is for any junior especially you know because a lot is riding on junior year right mm -hmm. and suddenly this has been a heavily interrupted year for the junior class yeah um i feel a ton of sympathy i want to say i'm sorry it's not that you know, uh, anyone can take responsibility for what's happening here, but I'm just sorry. I'm sorry for them that they have so much interruption relative to what their older peers or younger peers have had to experience, right? Mm -hmm. It stinks. And not to mention on top of that, there's people with financial um, hardships in their family and health hardships in their family. It, it really stinks, right? Yeah. All of that being said, um, for those people so fortunate to be healthy and to be able to keep the lights on and so forth, uh, we don't want to make excuses. We want to do our best to achieve at our, at our best level, regardless of the adversity, right? To overcome the adversity. So um, you mentioned virtual learning. You know, it, it's unfortunate, right? Like there are going to be problems where, for example, internet access is a problem for some families. And in those cases, it's, it's a lot harder to sort of get your work done and perform highly, even in a virtual learning setting. Um, but generally speaking, if you're so fortunate to have internet access and so forth, what I'm telling students is this is not a snow day, right? Yes, there will be some forgiveness for the adversity of this time, but the people who are able to work hard and stick to their goals despite the adversity, they're going to shine, right? College applications are coming up in five and a half months, right? In just five and a half to six months, these students are going to be saying, oh, submit. I hope this college appreciates what I have to offer. Well, if it's a giant blank from this spring, how are we supposed to determine if you're a great fit for a given university? Whereas if you found a way to somehow keep your grades high, to somehow impress your teachers with your contributions to virtual class discussions that they're going to write about in their letters of recommendation this fall, right? If you found a way to do well in your AP exams, which are still scheduled to be held virtually, 
you found a way to continue to build your skills in SAT or ACT, it's going to pay off for you. Yeah, it seems like it, it could be a real opportunity to shine to shine at this moment. Sure, and, and of course, you know, contingent upon people being healthy and, and safe. Of course, right, right. So um, students in general can get anxious over, over learning in general. Uh, are they more anxious uh, with remote learning or are there reasons for that remote um, learning will cause anxiety? Yeah, and the single greatest cause of that anxiety, Phil, that I've seen is mm-hmm. I have to say shame on you to every school district that went pass-fail this term. Uh, because you, if you go pass-fail, effectively you're telling the students who are actually trying that their work is not worth anything. I see. Right? So mm-hmm. the anxiety that I'm seeing is uh, whether it's high achievers or, or not high achievers, the students who care, the students who are actually trying to complete the work, imagine every day getting out of bed, not going to school, but just, you know, trying to stick to a routine, logging into your Zoom, like, homeroom class, and trying to stick to your assignments all day, your parents are seeing you and you're saying, oh, wow, it's impressive how much you're self-motivating despite the obstacles. And then you suddenly find out, hey, guess what? Everything's going to be kind of erased from this term. All the work you're doing is not worth anything. Uh-huh. Right? Yeah. And, then, and by the way, students are telling me they have friends or peers who are totally blowing this whole virtual learning thing off. Right? So for instance, one of my, one of my students told me his, his friend figured out a way on Zoom to set up an avatar, so just an image instead of live video, that looks like he's sitting at his desk, like listening to whatever's going on. I've and actually he, seen that mentioned quite a few times on social media. It's not uncommon. It's terrible, right? So this student is sort of pulling a fast one so he can sort of escape from a virtual class and go play video games or whatever. And guess what? At the end of the term, there'll be no difference between the, the student goofing off and the student literally putting in the work every single day. So that's, that's a huge cause of anxiety. Now, now, that being said, I'm not one to ever fall back on excuses. So I say, look, again, I'm very sorry for the class, especially the junior class who's experiencing so much anxiety right now. It's not fair. And, and you know what? Hopefully one day we can all sort of grow from this, right? But that being said, again, th- those people who are able to overcome that anxiety, overcome the adversity through the help of mentors, uh, podcasts, things that help them regain their focus, right? Mm-hmm. Parents who are sort of staying involved, teachers who are reaching out. It's going to pay off many fold for these students. You know, we're all going to experience times of diversity in our lives. You know, 9-11 happened when I was in college. It was a huge shock. It was a really scary time, but yeah. we had to find a way to move forward from it, right? And right. the same way, um, I hope students are able to find the right resources to stay motivated and come out of this stronger. What other things would you say when you have that student that is, you know, the, their, their peers are going to get that, that pass or their, the same pass or fail. What other benefits would you tell him he's going to get from just sticking to it and working as hard as possible? One very specific benefit is teacher recommendations. So uh, when you apply to college, you typically ask for two academic references. And for the most part, it'll be teachers who taught you junior year, not senior year, because the teacher's senior year will have a very limited time to get to know you before having to submit those letters. Whereas junior year teachers theoretically had the whole year, but part of the year was virtual. So can you imagine, you know, you're teaching a class of, uh, let's say it's um, pre-calculus. You have 30 students, 15 of them are goofing off. And you sort of notice, you know, one or two of those students are actually really putting in the work, right? They're submitting homework assignments. They're they're actually trying. Mm -hmm. And then it comes time to write teacher recommendations. You're going to remember, 
the ones who actually cared or the ones who actually prepared for a class discussion for English class, who actually did the reading and, and had interesting thoughts to share. Right, right, fantastic. Okay, so what, what do you see as the, the benefits of remote learning? One of the benefits, and I'm, I'm big on silver lining, Phil, one of the real benefits is that schools, whether we're talking about everything from early childhood to graduate school, they are refining their tools. So this semester, of course, was a giant um, ad hoc experiment in going virtual. And, you know, even within a given school, I'm told from students that some teachers are like, they're on it. They have it figured out. The learning is tremendous. And other teachers, even at the same school, are just can't figure it out, right? It's just not working, yeah. right? So yeah. this is sort of a learning experiment for all of these teachers, schools, districts. So that, you know, I'm not, I really hope there's no other lockdown like this in the future, but generally speaking, online education has been growing for a long time. How am I able to serve clients across 12 countries? By the virtues of technology and make an enormous impact, including that student with a 600 point SAT increase. That was done, 90% of those lessons were done by Skype, right? So, you know, online education, as you know, especially at the graduate level, especially at the MBA level, has been growing for many years. So online degree programs have been jumping up in terms of uh, percentage increases in enrollment, while full-time MBAs, for example, have been dipping for five years straight. Sure. So essentially what this whole emergency has done is helped everyone across the board make their online experience better, mm-hmm. right? It doesn't mean that we want to have all of our entire degree online. It doesn't mean it should be forced upon people, but what it means is that it creates good options, right? So maybe it creates more low cost options that are really effective online versions of a degree that are not quite the same as an in-person degree, but still quite good, right? It right. just helps us sharpen our tools. Right, right. Yeah, I see it as, as um, taking uh, advantage of a lot of advantages that existed before, but nobody wanted to jump into. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm seeing that happening a, a lot. Um, I actually teach Kung Fu online. Wow. I ha- uh, yeah, that's what everyone says. I didn't, know it was, <laughs> didn't know that was possible. Um, I've been doing it for six years and uh, adv- telling everyone, hey, this is possible. It's a little bit different, but it's entirely possible. And now, you know, I've been preaching it. Nobody, nobody listened except for the few students that I've been experimenting with. And now all of a sudden people are in it and just really, really enjoying it. So if, you know, if you can teach a physical art like that, sure, I think you can teach, teach anything. Um, sure. I mean, it's part of the big paradigm shift, right? Like, I mean, yeah, even yeah. two years from now, hopefully we've all forgotten about COVID, but some of the lessons will remain, right? How much we can harness the power of technology you know, for example, there may be people in a town that don't have um, a physical, you know, Kung Fu space where they can go to, right? right? Or right, maybe the, right. the um, instructors available aren't at the same level of excellence that you are, that you're at. Mm-hmm. So it creates optionality for people. Yeah, it is. I mean, I, I'm the only one that teaches what, what I teach. Um, the, one, of the, one of the benefits that we found is, is uh, one, being asynchronous. So, a little bit of a lesson here, they reply back and forth. And, and that really changed lifestyles because people could fit it into the other day, any mm-hmm. part of the day. Uh, and then storage capacity. I mean, everything can be recorded. Students can go back to it. So those, Absolutely. those are massive um, positive changes. 
Yeah, so. I'll give you a quick example, Phil. You know, when we work especially on academics and standardized testing, you know, um, so for example, in New York City, we'll have students and um, they'll say, okay, Hafiz, I want to have a lesson with you. And I'll say, okay, well, um, I'm not able to come to your home because my schedule doesn't permit it. Um, we can meet on Skype or we can meet at my office. And they'll say, oh, you know, it'll take me 20 minutes to get to your office, 20 minutes to get home. High school students today, you know how busy they are, yeah. right? So some, some of my students are eating dinner while we're on Skype lessons, yep. right? So I'll say, hey, let's try a Skype lesson, see how you like it, right? And I've never had anyone in 20 years go back after yeah. trying a virtual lesson and going back. And here's a quick example of how it's even better. So like I said earlier, working on rules for something like who whom, something that people sometimes don't know so well and they can forget the rules easily, right? So let's suppose we're building a notes file with a student that I'm working with virtually. That notes file over time might be 80 pages long, right? Mm -hmm. And let's suppose with another student that I'm working with in person, that student is putting notes into a notebook and, and sort of flipping pages as we go, yeah. right? So four weeks after we first covered who whom, a problem comes up and the student stumbles. And I say, okay, uh, open note. I want you to go back and look at your notes and then try the question again. Mm -hmm. Well, in a virtual setting, we're on an 80-page Google Doc. Quick, Command F, Command, who, whom, yeah. join me on page 15, yep. right? Uh, you're in a physical notebook. You're flipping through. Where's, where are my notes on who, whom? I don't know if I can find them. Why don't we just write them down again? It's a waste right. of time and resources. Yeah, yeah. That's exactly. And the same thing in the Kung Fu. If, hey, you're making this mistake. Go re reference this lesson we taught where we covered yeah, these. Go watch, go watch lesson number three, right? Yeah. It really saves everyone's time and yeah, just, just levels of efficiency. Um, so what do you see as, as these changes sticking around? What are they going to be the long-term um, changes? I mean, there's a lot of realms of that, but uh, you mentioned the MBA schools mm -hmm. becoming more virtual. Um, talk about that. And what do you, especially like public school? public school at the, at the high school level, or you mean university? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What's going to, is that going to change, or, or do you think, or are we going to go right back sure. to where sure. it was? Um, you know, I really hope we go at least close to right back, Phil, in the sense uh -huh. of, you know, I very commonly tell my students and families I work with, 90% of my education in college came from my peers. Mm. I'm a huge believer in peer education, and that applies at every level, right? Okay. Um, so let's talk about the high school experience. I think it is really important to have the social um, learning that takes place in high school. If I didn't have two or three of my closest peers in high school, all of us really caring about excellence, all of us really challenging ourselves, maybe I wouldn't have challenged myself to the same degree, right? Now, yes, if you have virtual classrooms, can you sort of keep up with friends and peers who are also challenging yourself? Sure, you can, but it's not quite the same as that sort of in-person motivation, right? I see. Yeah. Um, on a college campus, I'm well known for this analogy I make, Phil, where I say, let's imagine that a given college, let's say Columbia University, is a dinner table with a limited number of seats. When we ask a student to work on his or her candidacy, what we're saying is, well, what makes you, Sarah, the most interesting person to deserve one last spot at that dinner table? Uh -huh. What do you add to the dinner table conversation? So, you know, I really do hope that we get back to at least some form of in-person education because mm -hmm. that dinner table conversation is really special, right? It inspires lifelong motivation and ideas and curiosities. Now, I do see some good things sticking around. So, for example, 
we're going to have no choice, for example, uh, let's say at the university setting, large lectures. I'm not sure if large lectures will, will live on in the same form five years from now. Uh-huh. Right? So a lecture hall, let's say at a state university, packed with 450 students. I'm just not, and sitting shoulder to shoulder with each other. I'm just not sure, even though you know, young people are at lower risk, just not sure that's the right setup for the medium term. Right. Yeah. Uh-huh. So then you ask yourself, okay, well, how did we learn from this period of how to utilize online learning? Well, you know, if you have a 20 person seminar, I think that could work. You could sit, you know, one seat apart from other people, right. And keep enough distance from everyone in the classroom that I think should be fine. But for that 500 person lecture, we might need to figure out, okay, maybe half or a quarter of the students are sort of as a lottery allowed to attend the lecture. And the other, you know, three quarters will watch the lecture via Zoom and be able to submit questions via the chat room. Now, that's where there are some benefits, right? So the chat feature on a Zoom or Skype or what have you, you could put the questions in, you know, a stream of questions come through over the course of the lecture, and a TA picks and chooses which three or four are the most worth addressing at the end of the lecture. That's where, you know, with a show of hands at the end of a lecture, you may or may not get great questions, right? So this is a way where sometimes virtual tools can lead us to even a better outcome. And then maybe the next class period, you rotate and the other, the next quarter of the students are allowed to come in person. And you sort of do a little bit of a rotation in that way. Okay. Um, I think there's a way that, you know, high schools and colleges can start to adapt and even improve the experience using some of these virtual tools. a smart child who is struggling in school? Are you feeling overwhelmed? Do you feel like the struggle is holding your child back from their true potential? Maybe the anxiety and worry over your child's future just beats you down every day. You don't have to live that way. Learn how to stop a learning disability from becoming a life disability. A child with a learning disability is stressful for the child and the parent. The disability may be eroding their confidence and shattering their self-esteem. Other people may perceive your child as unintelligent and antisocial. If not addressed and fixed early, the child may develop permanent challenges later in life when looking for a good job or meeting a potential spouse. Our current school system does not know how to properly help our children, but at Learning Success, we do. We've created a system you can easily do at home with your child, and with just 15 minutes per day after school with your child, you can save them from a life of struggle and heartbreak. Learn how to unleash your child's potential and embrace their true intelligence. As a special gift for being a loyal podcast listener, we're going to give you a free trial of the Learning Success System. Try it out absolutely free for 15 days. If it is not the perfect fit to help your child succeed in school and in life, just cancel before the trial ends and pay nothing. You even get to keep the free bonuses. Go to www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast to get your free trial now. You'll be so happy you did once you see the great grades your child is capable of getting. 
Imagine being so proud of your child when they bring home a great report card and hand it over with a beaming smile. Get your free trial now at www.learningsuccesssystem.com forward slash podcast. You've got nothing to lose except the stress and anxiety that is holding you and your child down. I'll see you there. So what would you see in, in, in a post-COVID-19 world, and we're back, and now we have learned from uh, using remote education so much, and what you've just said about uh, being around your peers, whether it be in high school or college, um, what do you see as the ideal educational setting after this is all behind us? Um, Some you know, hybrid is sure. approach? You know, without any bias, uh, every student has different preferences and every student has um, different things that he or she can access. I'm always going to be a fan. I'm going to continue to be a fan of an educational environment with a low faculty-student ratio. Right? Okay. I do think that individual attention pays enormous dividends. We're so fortunate to work one-on-one -on -one with students. I don't think you can achieve a 600-point SAT improvement if you're sitting in a class of 20 people. Mm -hmm. right? Because that class is going to be catered to everyone's needs, not one person's needs, right? And, yeah. and frankly, classes often have to move at the pace of sort of the lower end of everyone's speed just to make sure that we don't leave anyone behind, yep. right? Um, so I think in a post-COVID world, an ideal setting would be one where you can continue to have these really powerful class discussions, really powerful uh, moments where you're not only learning from your professor, but you're, you're sort of being inspired by your peers. Mm -hmm. um, and, you know, that doesn't mean that, like, large settings are not going to be fruitful. Uh, and then, frankly, you know, there's going to be more. Um, it's one of the great things about America, right? Options kind of are, are shaken out from this sort of thing. So I do support a system where more low-cost virtual options are presented to students. So what's been happening for the last five years, especially in graduate education, why not scale it to everybody? Yep. Instead of telling a student or a family, hey, um, in order to get a high-quality education, you've got to spend $30,000 a year. Well, guess what? What if we give you a, a pretty good education for $2,000 a year? Wouldn't yeah. that be great? I want people to have that option. Let them choose what's right for them. Mm -hmm. Fantastic. Good. So um, is that the biggest disadvantage, uh, not having all of your peers around? with, Or what other disadvantages of, of the remote learning do you see? Um, I mean, in terms of uh, if you talk about college students, I worry about recruiting, you know, college students who are looking to land internships and job offers. Mm -hmm. That whole system has been inter interrupted pretty heavily. Um, yes, interviews can happen by Zoom and by Skype, but um, sort of the access to the network and, and so forth or, or being able to sit down with a professor and saying, hey, can you give me some ideas about how to help me stand out in this competitive applicant pool? Some of those opportunities diminish. I see. Right. Um, okay. And engagement. Right. So for a long time, you know, there's been a question of whether, um, especially at the university level, does a four year college education have economic sort of sensibility? Right. Especially as education has gotten more expensive. And the answer that, you know, so you, if you look at enrollment numbers, there, there are kind of like clear indicators that, for example, there are far more female applicants to college than they are male. Right. And you might okay. say, well, why? Uh, we don't know why. I can't really tell you why. But that's a clear data point that's out there. 
-hmm. right? And you might say, well, when you start looking at like, if college education costs $250,000, if you're going to a private institution and not getting much financial aid, you might say, well, maybe um, trade school makes more economic sense. Maybe it makes sense to become, you know, a a highly skilled um, electrical worker or highly skilled, um, you know, someone in, in other trades, right? So my point is, um, <clears throat> as the value of that education is sort of like, sort of more put into question, I think you're going to see more people say, hey, um, these lower cost alternatives will sort of make more sense for me. Um, and then I'll only pay the higher cost if I can still get that incredible education from my peers. I see. Good. Okay. So let's talk about, you know, all these parents now, the big question, they're all thrust into uh, homeschooling their kids. What advice do you have for, for those parents? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and let's focus for first on high school, which is sort of my expertise. Okay. Um, I will say that um, it goes back to what we said earlier. There will be enormous rewards um, in the six-month time frame for those who are able to stay on task during this period. Now, I know it's not a simple thing, and, and some students are going to be incredible at independently staying on task, and others are going to need a lot of parental help. Um, yeah. I think it's a tough time for everybody. We have a four-year-old, a three-year-old, and a one-year-old. And um, it is not easy for um, one parent or, or both parents to juggle in and, and try to keep education moving. Um, but I will say that you know all of us are making sacrifices right now. Um, it's not a time to throw in the towel or to um, say, hey, this is all gonna be sort of ignored later on anyway. Um, you know, I worry especially for um, math. So, so one thing I see, especially working with high school students trying to achieve highly in math, is I can see the legacy of either poor math education or poor execution in math from many years back, right? For instance, you know, if I come across a student who's not confident in math, I wanna get a sense of, is it a matter of execution or is it like some, there, there are gaps. Yeah. Order of operations, PEMDAS, something we all typically learn in sixth or seventh grade, maybe a little earlier in some cases, uh-huh. right? If that wasn't taught sufficiently at sixth or seventh grade, how is a student expected to retain it down the road? And I worry especially about math because it's cumulative, right? In order to do algebra well, we need to make sure all of the skills before algebra are, are built at a high level, uh-huh. right? So uh, in this case, this is all the more reason to put in the sacrifice as a parent and help your child stay on task because gaps that are left right now may be gaps that persist over many years. Right. Do, you, do you think that parents are, are kind of now being awakened to gaps that their students may have where before they were more relying on the school system to find them? Maybe some, something is being revealed. Sure. Absolutely. More. I mean, I hope we're all, I hope we're all learning from this. Yeah. Right? You know, um, I've learned tremendously about early childhood education. That's a field I wasn't involved in before. Right. Just in terms of, you know, our, our small kids. Um, how, how is confidence built on just basic, like, execution of tasks, right? Even the simplest thing, like, um, putting together a book uh, by stapling pieces of paper together and, and cutting and pasting things in, developing confidence with cutting with scissors. You know, these are little things that, like, motor skill confidence can lead to academic confidence down the road. Yep. Um, so it's, it's a good thing for all of us to sort of re-examine parts of our lives that we didn't question before mm-hmm. and start to understand those better, right? And it, yes. it all boils down to wanting to get something out of the education that we're 
you know, um, putting our kids through. Yeah, yeah, right. What do you see as long-term effects for the younger generation? Is, is this, what's going what's gonna to happen down the road here? Um, you know, I worry about those gaps persisting. Um, yeah. Because it's, you know, some people say, well, everyone's going to start next year with one, you know, one step behind. And I say, no, actually, um, I think some kids are going to start next year being right on course, and the other kids are going to be one step behind. So that actually creates a larger gap oh. in any given class. Right. Right. So if before you already had the challenge in every educational setting, like I said, a classroom of 20 students taking SAT prep, you already have a challenge of do you pace yourself for the strongest students or for the weakest students or somewhere in the middle? No right or wrong, but we need to figure out how to move this class forward. But suddenly now, next year, you're going to start every, every class, every school, every grade is going to have a larger disparity between those who are able to grasp concepts and those who are one step behind. And how do we deal with that gap? It's almost as, as problematic as the wealth gap in our country. Um, we always worry about, okay, the rich can get richer and what, what opportunities do the low income have? This is a, a pretty direct analogy. Right? Yep. Those who have been on task, those whose parents have been so fortunate to be able to help keep kids on task, they're going to be progressing forward. And those who lack internet access, those whose parents can't afford to not go to work, um, you know, those who have uh, screaming uh, siblings around and can't focus on their schoolwork because they don't have a door to close. I, I feel a tremendous amount of sympathy for how are those students going to keep up. Yeah. Which would be the appropriate time, Phil, to mention our, our scholarship at Lakani Coaching. Uh, Lakani Scholars is a scholarship. So, you know, most of our clients are fee paying and, and have the means to afford, um, you know, uh, premium fees and premium sort of one-on-one -on -one attention. Well, we've made a commitment two years ago to give back to the other end of the spectrum. So Lakani Scholars is specifically for high-achieving, low-income students. You can apply in the spring of your 10th grade. This year, we're allowing those same students to apply as late as October 1, the beginning of their junior year, to receive $10,000 worth of our coaching services for free. So wow. um, we have a commitment um, you know, to do what we can to help the other end of the spectrum as well. That's amazing. Good for you guys. It's really fantastic to hear. Thank yeah, you. That, that gap is, is troubling. I can see that as creating a lot of, a lot of problems. Okay. Um, so we, we heard the term helicopter parenting, and now we're hearing helicopter teachers. Can mm -hmm. you talk, talk about what that is? And, um, it's a desperation, right? So helicopter uh, teachers, uh, I think that term is trying to refer to teachers who are trying so hard to keep their students on task that they may be going overboard, right? right. Um, and helicopter parents, even in a virtual teaching world, you know, they might be micromanaging their kids and uh, sort of almost creating a draconian sort of schedule at home to like start virtual school and so forth. Yeah. Um, I have no judgment on, on different people's parenting styles or even teaching styles. Um, what I think I'm really highly encouraging right now is that everyone just makes that extra effort to stay committed to education right now, because I worry about all of the, like we talked about all of these scary repercussions and gaps that can exist down the road if we don't. Um, it would be a, a real loss. We've already suffered a huge economic loss due to COVID. I hope we don't suffer uh, a big educational loss of, of the same magnitude. Right. I agree. I agree. Um, 
what uh, tell us about resources that parents might tap into apps that sort of thing sure so um, I can't speak highly enough of Khan Academy um, oh, yeah. I do Khan Academy has early math modules that I do with my uh, who just turned four so mainly when she was three we were doing them and she comes to me almost every day and says can we have math time can we mm -hmm. have math time um, we use Khan Academy as one of our resources even for high school students preparing for the SAT yeah. Honestly, there is no book you can buy that has better resources and practice problems than the Khan Academy modules that are available for free online. Um, you know, the, the resources on there are so incredible. Honestly, Phil, if Sal Khan doesn't win a Nobel Prize uh, in the next decade, it would be a travesty. He's giving the world for free world-class educational resources. It's a matter, it's our, the onus is on us and on students to use them. Mm -hmm. Right. Scholastics right. has incredible resources available for free online as well. Uh -huh. um, a number of other great sites uh, exist. It's just a matter of filtering. The internet has a lot of noise. It's about filtering through the noise and finding good sources of material for enrichment. Right. right. Yeah. So for, um, say juniors or uh, that are looking to go to college are the vir virtual tours how are they i mean they can't get out and visit a college now virtually mm -hmm. tours useful or, or sure so virtual tours around? are fine they're, they're fine and colleges mm -hmm. are doing a, a good job of trying to make more available more material available to get to know a campus virtually mm -hmm. even better than virtual tours i think are conversations so when i advise in a normal world when i advise students on um, campus visits I always say, what can you do to go beyond the information session and tour, right? And the first thing I recommend is um, strike up a conversation with a stranger. If you're so willing, imagine if you were at school, right? It's a given normal day, you're in between classes, and a student stopped you and said, hey, I'm thinking about coming to the school next year. Do you have two minutes to tell me what do you like about this place? Would you say, no, sorry, I'm too busy, bye? No, you would actually stop and say, oh, okay, fine. thanks for asking. Sure, I'll yep. tell you. Yep. Right? And I'll even tell you what maybe I don't like and you could judge for yourself. Right? Uh -huh. You're going to be honest. You're going to make an effort. In the same way, you wouldn't believe the stories I hear, Phil, of students following through on this recommendation. Going, this is in a previous pre-COVID world, going to a campus and having these conversations with strangers and having amazing stories to show for them, including once, for example, a student visiting Brown, um, a young lady not only answered, talked to him for 10 or 15 minutes, but said, hey, um, I'm really friendly with my professor whose class starts in 10 minutes. I think he would be open to a visitor joining. Would you like to come? And the student said, sure. He went to the class. Professor, you know, of course, welcomed him in and then, you know, asked questions and even teased him a little bit during the class. And at the uh -huh. end of the class, the, the class of about 20 students gave him a standing ovation. And he really got a sense of this sort of feeling of camaraderie, right? And so situations like that, great stories. In a virtual world, we don't have the opportunity to necessarily just sort of like explore a campus um, in person, but those one-on-one -on -one conversations go a long way. So even the virtual tours are fine, but I think even better is find a handful of students who are current students at that university or alumni and have sincere one-on-one -on -one conversations. Ask them, what do you think makes your experience here different than it would be at, a, at another school, right? Mm -hmm. Or what's been your greatest experience here? Or what's been your greatest sort of gripe with being a student here? And I think uh, I always say one of the greatest ways to know if a, if a place is for you is, do you have that feeling of this is my tribe, right? Yeah. The people, do you feel like these are the people you want to be inspired by, right? Like the dinner table conversation. 
that's yeah. going to come. You're going to have a few one-on-one -on -one conversations. You can't know the whole campus, but you're going to get a feel. And I think that feel in some ways is even more powerful than um, an online tour, right? Right. And where, where would they find students like that? Online forums or? What? Usually online forums are fine. I think the, the number one best way is through friends and family. So just put some feelers out and say, is there anyone you can introduce me to? I've introduced numerous students to former students and said, hey, you know, who's going to say no? Hey, would you mind just sort of talking for 10 minutes on the phone? This person has some questions for you. No one okay. says no to that. So teachers, mentors, all of us have enormous networks of former students. We'd be happy to connect you, right? The second best resource is the admissions office. If you write an email to the admissions office, I promise you they will write you right back and introduce you to students you can talk to. Okay, very nice, great. Uh, how do students deal with the cancellation of standardized testing? What's going on? Sure, a huge challenge, right? Yeah. So yeah. Um, colleges have done a great job in terms of um, adjusting. So by now the count is probably well over 100 or 200 colleges that have gone temporarily test optional for this fall. Not every college um, has done that, and I don't expect that every college will, because frankly, problem-solving ability is what standardized testing indicates, and it is an important ingredient into understanding someone's candidacy, for, especially for a selective university, right? That being said, some of us have our hands tied, right? So right now it's wait and see, but I would take every test date available very seriously. So for example, right now, the June 13th um, SAT, uh, ACT is not yet canceled. It may very well get canceled, especially in some regions, but not others. But if you're a student, a junior especially, who has not yet had a chance to record your problem solving ability, I would get registered for that date. In fact, the deadline is in two days, May 8th. Um, I would get registered and, and just be aware that it might get canceled, but take whatever opportunities you get. ACT and SAT are both planning to add test dates in the fall to give students more opportunities. I would take those opportunities seriously, including Phil. Suppose I'm applying to Cornell University. Cornell is the first Ivy League and only Ivy League so far who has done this temporary test optional route. Okay, well, the numbers are out there. It's clear that in the past, schools that are test optional have a higher acceptance rate for those who submit testing than those who don't, right? Mm -hmm. This year may be an exception because of course there are health and economic extremes out there right now. Yeah. That being said, if you are so fortunate to be able to prepare for a test and show your strong problem solving ability, I think it will be an asset to you in the admissions cycle. So Cornell is allowing students to apply without submitting testing. Good for Cornell. If you're the student, I think the onus is still on you to say, if I am able to show strong problem solving ability, I should still submit testing, even if it's optional, right? Just like many of us, if extra credit is offered in class, we take it. Right. Yep. And so really uh, just for nuts and bolts for your listeners, Phil, the next SAT date officially offered right now is August 29th. They've added a September 26th test date behind that. Um, and then behind that, I believe it's October 3rd. Okay. So those are the dates you want to mark if you're taking the SAT. If you have not yet taken any sitting of either, you should probably take the ACT because ACT currently has not canceled the June 13th test date. It may get canceled, but just keep an eye on that date. There's a July 18th test date. So there are two sooner test dates of the ACT available. That's what I'm recommending for students who have not yet had a chance to test. And then September uh, 12th, I believe, is the one after that. Okay. What would you say to a, a student that was ready to head off to college and now is going to be virtual? Mm -hmm. <clears throat> 
So the fall is a giant question mark. All of us are, are eagerly awaiting and, and sort of nervous about what universities will decide for the fall. Um, based on my many conversations, what I'm seeing is that universities are extremely reluctant to go virtual in the fall. They will do everything they can to not go virtual, assuming they can keep everyone safe uh, on a health kind of uh, basis. And the reason for that is, um, frankly, universities are going through a huge financial turmoil right now, right? So for this semester, they were able to go virtual and everyone paid more or less the same tuition they would have normally paid. It's not fair, frankly, to ask students to pay full in-person tuition and have another virtual semester. And a lot of students and parents are sort of crying foul about this. Now, it's not as simple as them just lowering the tuition and saying, okay, fine, it's you know, only fair we lower our tuition. Universities won't be solvent if they don't receive certain amounts of tuition dollars, right? They will have to fire faculty, close departments, right? Cancel renovations of dorms. And it, they've, they've already made major budget cuts, but they can only do so much. So the bottom line is universities are holding out all hope to be able to keep students on campus in the fall and have tuition sort of met on a sort of normal target basis. Um, if public health sort of circumstances don't permit that to happen, the next plan is to delay the start of the fall semester. So uh, basically some universities are talking about starting in October or even November instead of on September 1st. And that way they can sort of wait out a little bit of the health emergency and start a little bit later on normal circumstances. And there, there are other hybrid models that are being floated. Um, if you're a student, suppose you're a senior right now and you've just gotten in and you've just committed, you know, May 1st was the original commitment date. A lot of colleges have extended that to June 1st. So we're in this period right now where students have either just committed to where they're going to college or they're making their final decisions. Um, a number of people are talking about requesting gap years. I think that's perfectly fine. And if, if a college that you've been admitted to is willing to grant you a gap year and you've got interesting plans for that gap year, fine. But that interesting plans component is really important. I don't want students taking a gap year if they have no idea what they're gonna do or if they think they'll just bum around for a year, right? I want students saying, hey, in this gap year, I'm gonna volunteer for the 2020 elections. In this gap year, I'm gonna sign up for a program to go volunteer and teach at a school in um, Afghanistan, uh-huh. right? And I want students to really make this a productive, impactful time for them, uh, rather than just fearing that, oh, I'll be virtual. In all likelihood, I mean, I, I don't know the future and I'm not a public health expert, but if the fall is virtual, I, I really don't think it'll be beyond one semester at most. And you have four years of college. So, sure. you know, I think still you can take great advantage of this great college experience. But sure, if you've got an idea for a gap year and if your school is willing to grant one, that's a perfectly fine option. Okay, fantastic. So we've, we've covered a whole lot here. Uh, is there anything that we haven't that's important for parents to know? Waitlist, uh, for those students who are still um, waiting uh, to hear back from waitlist, my recommendation is that, you know, waitlists this year are probably more important than they've been in 20 years. Okay. So, um, yes, you will probably have to commit to a school that you've been accepted to and maybe even put down a deposit. But if you've um, been put on a waitlist to a school that is really meaningful to you, one, I would stay on the waitlist. And two was I would write a letter of continued interest. And this would be advising a lot of our students to do, and, and many of them have already been successful uh, in that some, some wait lists have already um, received responses that says, yes, you're actually accepted now. 
Okay, so a letter of continued interest is not just a form letter. If you Google it, you'll see form letters. Those are not a good idea. Your letter should be specific and it should cover two things. One, and you can only say this honestly for one school, I would absolutely attend if I was given the opportunity. So give an assurance that if you were extended an offer off the wait list, you would take it. Okay, number two is give them an update on what you've been up to since your application back on November 1st or January 1st. Now, five, six months have passed. Give them an update on, obviously we've all been going through COVID, but what additions have you made to your character story? What additions would you make to what you can contribute to that dinner table conversation, right? Um, and so sharing with college is sort of an update on your candidacy is a good idea to maybe help you turn that wait list into an acceptance. Okay, very good, very good, okay. And uh, can you tell us about uh, your website? Where would people go to find you? Sure, we're at uh, www.lakanicoaching.com. Lakani is spelled L-A-K-H-A-N-I. So lakanicoaching.com. And um, you can learn a lot about our methodology on there, our rates, uh, our coaches. And probably most interesting for parents, uh, you'll see a link to our blog. So our uh, monthly newsletters are all published on there and you can get free advice on anything from um, how to choose your recommenders for college applications to um, making a plan for SAT and ACT, as well as our press page. Very good. And we'll make sure to put those links in the resources there. Oh, that would be great. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. Very good. Well, thank you, Havis, for coming on. This has been a really informative uh, interview. I've learned a lot and I hope our listeners have as well. My pleasure, Phil. I'll be happy to come back anytime. All right. All right, great. Okay, thank you. Thank you for listening to the Learning Success Podcast. We hope you enjoyed it. We also hope you have learned something useful, something that you can take back and improve your life with today. If you would like to say thank you, the best way for you to do that is to share this podcast with a friend. Help us help others along this journey. And if you haven't already, please rate and comment on the podcast. Every rating helps us and helps this podcast get out to more people. We appreciate it and we appreciate you. Thank you again and make today a great day. No one should have to live with a learning difficulty.